Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media. Welcome back to Inside the Game, brought to you by Raider Media, the Dakar 2020 edition with Toyota Gazoo Racing. Stage 7 done and dusted. And I'm currently sitting here with team principal Glenn Hall and my friend and colleague Valdu van der Waal. But uh, first, before we say anything, we uh, have to look back at the tragedy that occurred during Stage 7, the death of very well-known biker, popular biker, Paolo Gonsalves. Glenn such a sad sad day yeah absolutely and uh yeah there was a real uh, kind of cloud over the bivouac last night that that's for sure and the uh the briefing uh everybody was there so yeah not not a great not great at all and of course the bikes aren't running today in in memory of him but you know i don't think it's something paolo would have wanted that was my first reaction and in fact uh, a little statement that i made he would want everybody to continue but of course, Toby Price was first on the scene and he was there for 25, 30 minutes with him. So we have to look at the big picture, with the, which the ASO did. And uh, Jan Lemonnier, who's the, you know, the overall uh, CEO of it, came to me last night to inform us what would happen. And they, uh, they really didn't think it was fair for Toby you know, uh, to carry on today, give him a day's uh, rest. He was really uneasy and I think it was difficult, to be honest. So... Again, uh, having the full picture, uh, I think the ASO made the right call. And again, it highlights and underlines just how difficult this race is. People take it for granted that it is, I mean, it's given the moniker the world's toughest race for a reason. Uh, and it is extremely dangerous. Uh, day in and day out drivers, competitors, that, that they put their lives on the line when they go out there. Absolutely. And um, uh, in one way, that's the attraction uh, of it, that the, it is such a challenge and uh paolo done 10 dakos i think 10 or 12 i'm not sure exactly sure i think the, the exact 13 13 it made so his debut in 2006 four top 10 finishes second in 2015 i'm not mistaken to to mark coma uh, one of the the navigators for your team absolutely yeah so they they know just how dangerous dangerous it is and uh, for all the listeners out there yeah it is tough um and there are so many unknowns uh driving here yesterday for 800 k's from Riyadh down down to the bivouac here, there's just nothing out there. It's uh, it's challenging terrain, that's for sure. Valdu, yeah, just uh, if you'd like to add your thoughts uh, regarding the passing, I'll never forget we were here at a Dakar in 2014. Um, I think it was our second one. It was the first that we were doing together, and imaging came through at the time of a biker who I think as early as stage three had lost his bike and it blew up in flames and the images came through of him sitting next to his bike in absolute tears and it, it actually was Paolo. Yeah he was such a passionate man you wouldn't find anybody that was more passionate about the bikes than he was I remember the, those images so well sitting next to his bike crying he was actually kicking sand over it he was so frustrated by the fact that he couldn't continue the journey um, and continue he did the next year and the following years and it's so sad that someone that's so passionate about it would lose his life on the race but then like Glenn says you know he lived for this kind of thing um, and, and I think in his memory taking a day off for the bikes and so on is exactly the right thing to do but um, he will continue to be remembered as a very big part of the, of the Dakar as part of its history and its law you know we saw uh, one of the former top riders Fabrizio Mioni lose his life some years ago um, and no one's forgotten him. He's very much part of the fabric of what makes this race one of the greatest races um, in the world. 
So I spoke about Mark Comer. He was uh, a massive competitor uh, with Paolo, uh, and they certainly were great rivals, but even more so great friends. And uh, this is what Mark had to say following the tragedy. Uh, it's a really, you know, difficult day for all the Dakar family. And I would like to give all my support to the family and the team because from my experience, I know that when something like this is happening, it's very tough for, for everybody. And, uh, you know, uh, well, it's the, the price that sometimes we have to pay that it's too, too much, but it's part of our life. So rest in peace, uh, Paolo Gonçalves. Uh, you will really be missed. Um, moving on to the racing, Glenn. And, uh, of course, it does take a backseat to, to what took place, um, but we need to still uh, deal with the racing. And, and stage seven, following the rest day, uh, I know you're highly disappointed with what awaited the competitors because it wasn't what was promised to you and you thought this was really where you could uh, stamp your mark uh, on, the, on the race. Yeah, absolutely. We thought the second uh, half of the race and uh, heading towards the empty quarter. <coughs> Excuse me, it's pretty dusty out here. Um, would uh, be more favourable to us, but uh, hang on. <coughs> <coughs> Will you be able to cut that out? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, heading out of Riyadh down towards the empty quarter, we thought that it would be more favourable to us. But of course, we've got to get into the empty quarter. You can't. It's so far away from Riyadh, and uh, it's it's a new race. And I think yesterday's stage, although the longest, was a little bit easier than people imagined. Matthew uh, sent me a text. It says boring stage as he exited it. Um, NASA was on amazingly 86% full throttle for the stage. So, um, yeah, it was all about top speed and uh, not lifting off. Janil said his right leg was sore, let alone his neck from pushing the throttle halfway through the front suspension. So, yeah, not what we wanted. Yeah, and in an effort to increase speed, uh, did a bit of maintenance work, should I say, on, on Bernard Tenbrinker's job uh, on car. And uh, he was the guinea pig, so to speak, ahead of yesterday's stage. How did that work out? And, and tell us what you did exactly. Uh, so I would say rather R&D, research and development yesterday. Uh, and why didn't we do it before? Great question. But um, it wasn't what we were expecting. We, we looked at the temperatures uh, here average. We expected big heavy dunes and uh, it's not been like that. It's been going easy going and the temperatures have been much lower. So we were able to remove all the roof ducting for the rear radiator. And uh, that gave us, uh, looks like it gave Bernard a couple of three, four kilometers an hour top speed. Um, but obviously we were worried about the, um, the diff temperatures and the engine temperatures. We were still cautious of that. So Bernard uh, put his hand up, says, I'll do it. And uh, it was no problem. We, were, we have so much cooling in hand here. Uh, in these temperatures and the new design of the front radiator uh, actually just for the listeners we're using a production Hilux uh, radiator cores made in Peter Maritzburg and uh, it's more efficient than the racing radiator shall we say or the most sport versions we had previously and lighter so we've come here you know with more cooling capacity than we needed so we've utilized it so last night we checked the data thoroughly and then now this morning you've got <laughs> six Hiluxes which look completely different. 
Um, Glenn, a quick question from my side. You know, Bernard came back 46 seconds slower yesterday than Nasser. Nasser didn't have the modified um, air intake. Can we, can we call it a, still an air intake, the, the nullified air intake at that point? Um, but why was he still quicker than Bernard? Uh, n- uh, exactly that. We checked the full throttle for the day, and honestly, uh, it was 9.6% more full throttle than Bernard was, uh, Nasser. So. He said he was going to take a little bit of risk yesterday. He did not want Carlos getting away any further. If otherwise, we're just going to run out of kilometers. Yeah, it's like Hannes Fischer always says. The guy that keeps his foot planted the longest and touches the other pedal the least will win the race. You know, when <laughs> I was driving, I used to look at the throttle pedal at the, at the start of the stage. I said, all I have to do is keep you down longer than anybody else, and we're going to win. <laughs> yeah, either that or end up in the trees. Yeah. Anyway, so yesterday was an interesting stage with Carlos still winning the stage. Um, Nasser coming back 2 minutes, 12 seconds behind Carlos. Like you said, he didn't really get away at all. Um, and having Bernard finish the stage 4th fastest, uh, Yazid in another Hilux 5th fastest, and then Fernando doing 6th fastest times. You know, we were all up there. Our cars were, weren't, you know, that far back. But if you add up the minutes we're still losing minutes rather than gaining minutes so i look at it we wanted to gain two minutes yesterday so we actually were four minutes adrift of where we needed to be uh we were gonna the idea was to try and get on carlos's bumper and not uh not let go of it that's that was the idea for uh nasa yesterday a few days ago chatted to janil after he climbed out the car he spoke about uh, a slight neck injury and i actually spoke to his co-driver alex first and and alex brought it up janil was a uh, nonplussed about it. He said, oh, it's nothing. Um, three days later, a- and it looks like it's becoming a bit of an issue. Yeah, it was. So he had what we, you know, we've got two really good physios here with the three, in fact, um, with Fernando's personal assistant, Eduardo. Um, so the first day, Janil wasn't happy to have his neck, shall we say, clicked fully back into place. Uh, you know, he was... Uh, because it's always a risk on a rally once you if you do it too far you know so he had shall we say a mild uh, straightening of the spine but last night he had a a full service (laughs) and uh, immediately you could see his face was uh, you know he was out of pain so let's hope today and uh, it it remains you know free and easy and in place Talk us through today's stage. I, I know it's currently underway. Uh, are we in the empty quarter now? Are you getting there? We're still getting there. So okay. today's a loop quarter, just loop stage, just going into the edge of the empty quarter, or shall we say the full, you know, where there's absolutely nothing and big dunes, uh, you know, complete. So there's 50 k's of dunes out of the stage today. It was much softer going. I've just read a little um, piece from Stefan at the uh, neutralization zone, which is introduced for this Dakar during the stages so it gives them a chance for media it gives the drivers a a little chance just to gather themselves you know do the toilet duties and things like that so uh, the mechanics like that a bit better Um, for the cars afterwards not cleaning up but uh, anyway so Stefan said it very hard going and navigation extremely difficult so we see Carlos lost 14 minutes NASA lost seven so now if we hold that to the end there will be only three minutes to the lead that we can manage I think NASA can manage that. I'm just looking at the live timing as we're going, and at 264 kilometers of the stage, we have uh, Matthew Saradori leading the stage in his uh, 
South African will see our six buggy, which is always good to have a South African angle at the front of the back. We'll In take it. Incredible job. Yeah, Julian Hardy, the chief, uh, chief engineer, designer, you know, Mark Corbett, funding, starting the company in the beginning. Great vision, great insight, but they've done a, a great job. So, uh, yeah, splendid, uh, uh, splendid performance, really is. It's really looking very good. Then in second place, we've got Yazid, one minute 16 adrift. He's obviously in a Toyota Hilux, followed by Orly Terranova and a Mini. Uh, then Sierdan in a Mini as well, followed by Janil, Brugonski, Alonso, Tim Brunker. So it's Mini, Hilux, Mini, Hilux. It's really uh, one of theirs and one of ours um, in, the, in the run so far. Uh, seventh place is Fernando Alonso, eighth place, Bernard Tim Brunker. They're sort of four, five minutes adrift. Stefan Peter Hansel, five minutes down on Serradori on the day. Um, but then the big numbers are really the ones. Carlos Sainz, 15 minutes at the 264 kilometer mark. And Nasser, eight minutes. So there's a seven-minute swing in that. Like you said, it puts us within three minutes of uh, Carlos. With plenty of stage still to go, unfortunately. Yeah, so what's happening today is because the bikes are not running, there are no tracks. So Carlos has uh, lost the lead. He was running, um, I think, directly just behind Fernando. So, uh, you know, they got lost a little bit. Uh, Nasser and Matthew obviously got lost, and Stefan. So... um, NASA was running 10 seconds behind uh, uh, Stefan earlier on so it's a chaos out there and the reason that the lines from the bikes are normally more important they can straight line on the cap headings so they can go straight over the really difficult dunes challenging dunes shall we say and they tend to go straight on the caps where the cars have to navigate around the dunes and then when you come back onto the heading it's very difficult we're speaking about this in the car on the way here Last year, or, or previous versions of the Dakar, they used to swap quite often, the cars and the bikes, in terms of starting. Hasn't been the case this year. Well, actually, it was only once, Derek. Uh, um, okay. Yeah, it was, uh, it, typically, it was the second stage in, in the last two Dakars that we had um, in South America. But, uh, yeah, it's, it, this year, th- it wasn't going to happen this year. It was only you know, because of Paolo yesterday that we've ended up... Uh, opening the road but really really challenging for the car especially when the going is soft because if you make a wrong call on the heading or you go around you know a dune and it's very soft um, you lose your heading lose the distance it, it, it can be chaos there and even from a spectator point of view I mean Valdu we were going to go out and have a look today but as you mentioned it was simply too dangerous because we didn't have the bike tracks either no, it's, it's, you know, it's one thing to have a GPS point, but remember, we're hunting for the GPS point, which is the same GPS point, or very similar to where the, the drivers are hunting for. They're doing it at 100 and plenty. We're stuck on a sand dune, and the next moment we're um, onto each other. So it's a very dangerous proposition to go and find something if there are no tracks at all to give you an idea of where they are. Um, and so we decided to can our expedition this morning and rather come to the bivouac. Yeah, thank, thankfully we haven't had uh, any hairy incidents uh, this year, but uh, there's been one or two in the past where we've been properly part of the race. Yeah, we've led the Dakar, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not on purpose, just, just for a brief moment there. A couple of years ago, um, I ended up driving a car on the stage completely by accident. It was certainly not the intention and um, ended up in front of uh, Nasser Alatia, who was still driving for Mini at the stage. He hooted us, I don't think it was a friendly hoot, and then um, proceeded to almost knock us off the road and carry on. Um, and afterwards he came to me and said I cost him 10 seconds. At that stage he had about 10 minutes in hand, so I thought he was just being flippant. <laughs> Every second counts, Volda. Uh, Every second counts. So, uh, yeah, it's difficult, challenging day. It, it's absolutely um, 
frustrating and uh, terrifying being here in the bivouac because we don't know the details of exactly what's happened. You know, we're always thinking, well, is there any mechanical issues with the car? Have they had two punctures? Now they've got no spares left. Um, you know, all, all of that sort of thing. So uh, we just sit here waiting and as the waypoint comes up, oh, okay, we're through that one, but uh, would have liked to have been really higher up the, uh, the leaderboard. Uh, Blin, how big a difference do, do temperatures play uh, in terms of the, the conditions here? Of course, uh, coming from South America, extreme heat. Uh, we, we, we keep on speaking about how cold it's been in Saudi Arabia. I think where we are now, which is Wadi al-Dawasir, Wadi al-Dawasir, um, slightly warmer. Yeah, but, it, it. but it's still cold. We're yes. sitting under a tent here to do the cast, and I can see you've got a... a uh, yeah, yeah, multiple layers. Voldo has, I have. Uh, the lads to the right of me have got overcoats on, and we've actually a little bit, you know, not fully prepared for this temperature. But uh, yeah, we got some of our guys still in shorts and flip flops when they got out of the tent in the morning, <laughs> <laughs> and it was seven degrees, which is not so bad. But when you get a, a, a breeze, plus the air is so dry, it is really cold here. I've got another question, completely changing tack for a moment. Um, yesterday, uh, uh, Fernando and Mark came out of the stage with a tire that had delaminated and that had beaten up part of the bodywork. I've never, I've been around motorsport for a long time. I've seen it on various things, but never on a cross-country tire. Um, tell us more about that. Yeah, uh, Waldo, yeah, it is. Uh, I, I didn't want to think about it again because, you know, we've had 40 punctures today. No, in fact, sorry, yesterday, it's now 44 punctures, which is absolutely crazy. Um, so, so we've had a bit of trouble with the tyres. So yesterday, Fernando's tread came off at a. It wasn't actually at 170 when it came off. It was about 164, I think, or something like that. And um, while they saw the pressure go down on the dash as Mark put his gloves on, it exploded and took the uh, rear fender, all the bracketry, the inner liner, everything was gone. Uh, and then, then he lost. 8Ks an hour, 7Ks an hour top speed after that because the fender wasn't on the car. So yeah, and there was 5 to yesterday. So um, yeah, it's terrifying. That's if we, that's in the back of my mind sitting here, which is making me extremely anxious. I know we keep on speaking about it uh, and we sound like a, a broken record, but rightly so. Fernando Alonso, he just continues to impress. Amazing. I said to Fernando, I looking yesterday and I thought, mm, Fernando could win this stage. Uh, you know, he was in the right road position yesterday, so he had good visuals of some of the cars flat out, you know, picking the right lines. He's good at that. And then this tyre sort of halted him. When he came in, I said, I thought you were going to win today. He said, so did I. And you, he was confident. Incredible. But I kind of knew it was going to be like this, but we didn't want to say it. Uh, the man's got incredible, incredible skills, no question. And you could see yesterday, certainly took it out of him. Uh, Voldo and I were waiting to chat to him. He got back, uh, climbed into his camper van and, and went for a snooze. Uh. He, look, the, the physical exertion of five hours in the seat is one thing. The concentration is the exhausting part. I actually, that, that was my biggest worry for him, that he'd be fit enough for the whole day. But Mark says he's on it all day long, but he went straight to sleep. And then I said, wow, you're not going to sleep tonight. I, you know, I was up this morning at half past four and uh, Fernando came out about ten past five, quarter past five. And I said, did you sleep? He says, like a baby. 
and uh, he slept all night as well and he looked really fresh and ready to go so uh, yeah he switches off and just goes and uh, he can keep on it all day long quickly touching on the bivouac uh, as we spoke about we are here in wadi and it's one of those rare days where there's not a lot of traveling involved for the pit crew because we stuck here as you mentioned it's a circuit so uh, 400k odd round trip that they're, they're going to come back here so it's it's a, a bit of a break for the mechanics uh, and the engineers etc sitting around waiting uh, just uh well, they should, they, busy. they should not be sitting around waiting now. <laughs> I'm just looking over. No, they are they are busy doing. They've got a job list to do for today, not massively. Uh, they are so very kindly sent the drivers out earlier today with the bikes not been running. So it will give us a little bit of extra time, you know, this afternoon. So, uh, yeah, then we've got another big trek tomorrow. But, uh, yeah, there's always something to do, but they need to regain the energy, that's for sure. And uh, you said the guys are expected to come in at around 3 o'clock this afternoon, and it is now at 11 o'clock, so give or take three and a half hours or so. And then this turn, this place turns into uh, a complete contrast to what we see now. Uh, just talk us through the arrivals of the cars, uh, what takes place after that? Yeah, immediately the cars come in. Um, we, we'll get a feedback on the short liaison after the stage from the co-drivers by uh, text um, to give it prepare us. But the minute the cars come in, they've got a set procedure for every car. So within uh, 30, 40 minutes, the work will start in earnest. But, you know, it's prepared on the stands. Checks are done before the car is stripped. You know, the evidence of anything that might have gone wrong or is going wrong is only there until somebody removes it. So uh, th there's quite a strict discipline on how we approach that. Excellent. Well, uh, I think that just uh, about wraps it up uh, as we ready ourselves for uh, the cars to come in at the end of Stage 8. And today could be a game changer. Yep, we spoke about the time differences. Carlos uh, currently losing a lot to NASA, but still plenty of racing to come. Plenty of racing to come. Um, yeah, if it stays like it is, we are more than right back in the game but the good news is for tomorrow you know normally we're always worrying about being um, how can I put it in the dust but now the navigation is so critical out here being 8th, ninth, 10th is no problem at all in fact it's probably the best places 6, 7, 8 you know as we're seeing from Serradori this morning is able to come through pick the tracks have the lines have the confidence and uh, if, if NASA finishes and Carlos in the middle today in those sort of places they're in now it's going to be a real fight tomorrow how do you see today playing out Valdi? well like like glenn says if if there's always the if but if things stay the way they are then i think um very much in in the fight for for the lead um tomorrow uh nasa is always difficult to to read you know even to glenn and to everybody he doesn't quite reveal what he's really thinking or saying or what his plans are but i get the sense that he's still definitely hopeful that there will be an opportunity for him to attack and if ever there is it's got to happen in the next day or two so let's see how things play out yeah no you cannot underestimate that man i think uh, i got a nice text from john thompson at toyota the other day to say uh, when is nasa going to come out to play <laughs> and uh, he's been playing but he's frustrated because he can't attack the stages in a way that he'd like to in other words where the risk taking everything else doing it he uh, he wants something really difficult to get his teeth in. I haven't seen a sweat on him yet. Okay, it's cold here, but uh, there's no no sweat on him so far because he can't really get his teeth into it, and I think that's frustrating him. So, 
is at stage eight. We'll see NASA come out to plan. Could we see Toyota Gazoo Racing climb to the top? Uh, never say never, hey, and we'll keep fighting until the last stage. Yeah, absolutely. And we got, uh, you know, Yazid there as well flying. So, uh, yeah, the Toyotas are in the fight, big time. Well, watch the space. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll be back after stage eight. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Inside the Game. Brought to you by Radar Media.